You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today. Mark chapter 8 in our student ministry. We have been in the book of Mark our entire student ministry year. And unfortunately, I I never realized this, but I'm starting to take after my dad. In our entire student ministry since, we usually do our student ministry uh, during the school year. So, you know, at the beginning of last school year, we started in Mark chapter number 1, verse 1. And today we are in Mark chapter number 1, verse 16. So, that's, uh, I was like, oh, I actually told my dad, I'm like, I have... Got to make a purpose to move faster through these chapters. I was hoping to go through the whole book of Mark during the student ministry year, and we're not even through chapter one. So, wow. I asked the kids, I'm like, you know, let's, let's think about where do you guys want to go after this? Mark chapter one, because I thought it was going to be the book of Mark, but maybe do you guys got a chapter you want to go through? And some smart Alex said, how about Mark chapter two? I was like, all right, hey, ain't nothing wrong with that. If that's what you guys want to do, that's what we'll do. So Mark chapter one, or excuse me. That's where we've been in Sunday school. I'm just I'm so used to saying it. Mark chapter number 8, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through verse 9. Today we're going to be talking about compassion like Jesus. Compassion will move us to action. Let me ask you this. Have you ever wanted to be like somebody uh, in your life? Or, uh, you know, especially when you're younger, you usually uh, see people that you want to be like. Um, people that you respect, and, and you probably respect them for a variety of different things. Uh, you know, some people are really wealthy, and it's like, oh, I wish I was wealthy like that individual. Uh, some people have, are very powerful. You know, they have positions of power. And, um, you know, some people, uh, um, you know, they uh, uh, have good personalities or, or gifts and abilities, and uh, you're like, oh, I wish I could do that. You know, like uh, so many of our young people think of sports stars. I wish I could play basketball like that. Or they, they look to that to try to emulate uh, what that person is doing or, or to be like them. You know, there was a time in our, our country where being an astronaut was really looked up to. That was before my time. But, you know, everybody wanted to be an astronaut, you know, go to space and, and do those types of things. Maybe some of you remember uh, that time. But I remember there was a time where there was, I wanted to be a singer. And there was this one singer I would listen to, and I just, I loved his voice. He had the, he didn't sing high, and he didn't sing medium, and he didn't sing low. He sang all of them. And there's not very many people that can do that, go from like lower range all the way up to very, very high tenor. And I just loved listening to him sing, and I would listen to him in the car. And um, I just, I loved his voice. I thought it was pleasant to listen to. And, uh, you know, I would, I'd listen to him in my car and I would sing with him. And then when he got real high, I would screech. You know what I'm saying? Like, ah, trying to hit it. And occasionally I would. It had to be like the perfect situation. Uh, you know, like there would be that time where I would actually hit the no. And I'm just like smiling. But for the most part, I, I didn't. And even to this day when his songs come on, my wife is just, just, just she just turns her head and uh, just, I feel bad, but... Brings back good memories. Anyway, there was a time I realized I was never going to be uh, like that guy. And, uh, but, you know, we all have people that we might want to emulate or be like or people that we respect in life, and there's nothing wrong with that. But all people, I've heard it said, all people, and actually I think it was Brother Kaufman that said this, all people are people at best, right? 
uh, no matter who you look to and who you respect, um, they're just, they got problems and they got issues in their lives and uh, they're messed up just like uh, we are. And uh, they're, they're dealing with brokenness and struggle in their lives, uh, really no matter who you're talking about. But there is somebody who we can emulate and be like, and no matter what, you can go and study everything. You can be like that person, and of course that person is Jesus Christ. Amen? That person is Jesus Christ. And each and every one of us should be seeking in our lives to become more like Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Amen? To be conformed, our life continually becoming more like the Son of God, that he might be the firstborn among many nations. Who here wants to be like Jesus Christ? I would hope if you're truly a Christian, that's your heart's desire, right? That's the heart's desire of every single Christian, or should be, to become more like Jesus Christ. That, that inherently should be inside you. And today we're going to look at how we can become more like Jesus Christ. In this text, we see Jesus give us an incredible example to follow of how we can reach the world through Compassion. So let's go ahead and read our text here this morning, have a word of prayer, and jump into the content today. The Bible says in Mark chapter 8, not chapter 1, chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, the Bible says, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and said unto them, verse 2, I have compassion. Jesus said, I have compassion. I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their uh, houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from afar. I mean, Jesus is saying, if I send these people back home right now, they're going to pass out because they haven't had anything to eat and they came from a long ways away. Verse 4, and the disciples answered him, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Jesus, we're in the middle of nowhere. There ain't no Taco Bell on the corner. We got nothing to feed these people. Verse 5, and he asked them, how many loaves have ye? And they said, seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground and took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave unto his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set, all, set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up the, of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they had, excuse me, and they that had eaten were about 4,000 and he sent them away. So here we have the miracle that Jesus performed once again. This is not the feeding of the 5,000. Different story. This is the feeding of the 4,000. We'll look at uh, some of the differences here. But if, in case you didn't pick it up from this passage, Jesus had seven loaves and a few fish. As he continued to break these seven loaves and a few fish, the food began to multiply and he was able to feed 4,000 people with food left over. 
So we're going to take this text, unpack it, and see what God has to teach us this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all your wonderful blessings. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be here. And I just pray that you will show us some truths here uh, this morning from your word, uh, some things that we can apply to our own lives to become more like you. And uh, we just thank you for giving us the opportunity to be here. I pray all these things in your holy, precious name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, amen. Man. All right, let's look at this text and see some things that Jesus was trying to do here. What was Jesus trying to do in this passage? The first thing I see here is that, once again, and this isn't really uh, part of the message, but I just want to point it out, is once again, Jesus was showing the power of who he was. Jesus was God in the flesh. Amen. Jesus was God in the flesh. And once again, through this miracle, he is proving himself to be God. This miracle was yet another testimony of his power and his ability. Hey, we serve the same God today that was back then. Amen? Jesus, God, he does not change. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. The same miracle working God back then is the same miracle working God that we have today. God is an all-powerful God. Remember that when you're going through difficulties in your life, we serve an omnipotent God. Amen? We serve an omnipotent God. The second thing is um, he, what we see Jesus in this passage was using this time as an opportunity to mentor and teach his disciples. He's using this situation as a time to mentor and teach his disciples. Remember, these guys, these disciples were pretty significant. They're very significant in our history because Jesus mentored and trained them and he was preparing them to continue on the message of the gospel. He was training them to continue on Christianity. These guys are our forefathers. They, are the, they were the ones that helped establish the church. The things that were established, especially after Jesus Christ left, we literally do the exact same things today. Like a lot of the things that we do in the worship and the preaching and how we structure our church was because of these guys right here. So he was spending this time to mentor and prepare them for the time that he was to leave. Jesus, um, Jesus didn't have a long time with them. He didn't have a long time to, to, to teach them. So he utilized every single moment as an opportunity to teach and mentor them. You know something, and, and this is just a quick uh, uh, um, um, Something I've noticed is that we need to utilize every opportunity we have to teach and mentor others. Uh, this could have to do whether you're a parent. Um, you notice one of the ways Jesus taught his disciples is he didn't, just, he didn't bring them and sit them down in a class and then teach them. This is what Jesus did. He lived life with them. They lived life day in and day out. And when circumstances would come their way, he would use those circumstances as a time to train them and to teach them biblical truths. Um, you know, and, and that's what we need to be doing every day in our lives with our children when situations come along our way. Actually, Isaac and I were just talking. Um, we uh, went up to Kobiak, all of us brothers, to see Levi's graduation. And uh, he graduated Thursday. And on the way back, we were talking about that. And Isaac was saying how he needs to do better at utilizing every circumstance in his home to teach and mentor the children. And uh, that's, that's the way it is. Right? So a lot of times, later on in, in kids' lives, they're a product of how they were trained and developed when they were children. All right? Obviously, there's free will and all that type of stuff. We're not going to get into that. But we need to take the responsibility of utilizing every opportunity to train and mentor the people underneath us. That could be as a parent. That could be um, in church. 
That could be um, at your work, at whatever situation. You're, if you're in any type of leadership, be, be thinking and purposeful about utilizing that opportunity to mentor and teach. So that's what we see Jesus doing here. You can do that as parents, teachers, leaders, Sunday school teachers, whatever. We need to be proactive and using the opportunities to teach and mentor other people. So what was Jesus trying to teach them? Now we're getting, getting closer to the meat of what we want to talk about. What was Jesus trying to teach them at, in this passage? In this passage, we see Jesus trying to teach his disciples compassion. We see Jesus trying to teach his disciples compassion, um, specifically teaching them to minister to the needy no matter who they were. So this, this feeding of the 4,000 is very different than the feeding of the 5,000 in this certain way. The feeding of the 5,000 was primarily to a group of Jews, okay? But the feeding of the 4,000 was primarily to Gentiles. Now, in case you're not familiar, back in the Bible times, uh, Jews, there was, there was two races, all right? There was Jews and everyone else, okay? Like right now, we got, you know, we think of Mexicans or, or Chinese or Filipino or we think of all these. But, but to the Jews, specifically back then, you were either a Jew or you weren't, okay? That's the way they viewed things. And um, they were, the, the Jews held a, kind of a deep prejudice against anybody that wasn't a Jew. They looked down on any Gentile, all right? There was Jews and Gentiles. That was the two races according to Jews. Um, you know, the Gentiles, according to the Jews, they were heathen, they were lost, they were, they were filthy, they were dirty, don't touch me, stay away from me. We're the chosen race. You're the disgusting Gentiles. You know, they were just looked down upon in that day and age. But here's the problem is that Jesus did not just come to save the Jews. Jesus came to save the world. And if these disciples were going to continue on Christianity, if they were going to continue on the message of the gospel, they had to learn not just to have compassion for the people that they preferred. They had to learn to have compassion for everyone. And that is what we see Jesus really trying to do in this passage. Jesus was about to leave and the mission of the gospel was about to be passed on to the disciples. So here in this text, we see the need for spiritual food. We see the need for compassion and the need for evangelism. So I know I'm moving quick. It's because I have so much content and I wish I could expound more, but I can't because I want to get even to the deeper meat of this passage. All right, let's look back here in verse 1. Verse 1, the Bible says, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and said unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. So the next observation I want to take from this passage is that when we see these people, and as, as we look at the context of the story, we see that the Gentiles, which you know could refer to lost people, um, the Gentiles, people that don't know the gospel, uh, we see that in the world there is a desire and a deep need for spiritual food. There is a desire and a deep need for truth. The crowd had clearly, they clearly had a need and a desire for spiritual food. They clearly had a desire and a need for truth. Um, they had such a desire and a need for truth that they had gone without physical food 
for three days just to hear the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's how compelling the truth was that they would sacrifice food for three days. These people were clearly starving for the words of Jesus. I mean, what's the longest you've ever gone without food? Think about it. What's the longest you've ever gone without food? Um, I think the most hungry I've ever been was probably when I was going to Bible college in the Philippines. And, uh, you know, this Bible college, they, they, it was, it was, I lost a lot of weight when I was there. I think when I was going to Bible college in the Philippines, only, I think I was there uh, two semesters, I think I lost more than 50 pounds when I was there. I was so hungry. And it was in the Philippines that I learned to love balut. I don't love it as much now. When I went back there, it wasn't as appealing to me. For those of you that don't know what balut is, most of you probably do. It is an egg, a chicken egg, and it is before the chicken hatches, and it's like inside, so like they'll hard boil it, and when they open it up, the chicken's like, and you open it, and like depending on how much it's formed, like it'll have like a little bit of feathers and stuff, and it's just like, and you just like suck the juice out and eat it, and uh, it's, it's pretty messed up, but... I'm telling you what, if you were as hungry as I was in the Philippines, it's, it's the craziest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Everything starts to look good. I've, I mean, have you ever, I, that's the only time in my life I've ever been that hungry that literally it didn't matter what I saw that was edible. Uh, it looked good, which is probably why they eat those crazy things over there. But that's how hungry I was. How many of you would hang out here if I said, hey, I got this message, I really, this truth I want to share with you, and it's going to take about three days, if y'all cool with that. Uh, I'm pretty sure this place would not be, uh, I'm pretty sure this place would be emptied out before tonight, all right? I don't think any of us would be like, yeah, I'm cool for uh, uh, not eating for three days just to hear the preaching, okay? So no complaining about how long pastor's messages are, all right? And until you last three days, all right, no complaining about that. Anyways. Um, so here we see they have such a desire for truth. They have gone without physical food for three days. That is, I, I hope we understand the significance of that. Um, here's what I see here. The world is hungry for truth. The world is hungry for truth. Nobody believes a lie on purpose. Okay? Uh, I know that we, we, we see things and, you know, we got the news and television and, and we see craziness all over the place, right? You guys see craziness and you're like, how can someone even believe that? That's just nutty. But guess what? Those people believe it's true, right? Nobody believes a lie on purpose unless you're retarded. Um, am I allowed to say that? I, I don't know. Okay. But uh, no, nobody believes a lie on purpose. Hey, let me ask you this. Have you ever learned the truth about something? And uh, maybe there's something that you thought was true and you found out it wasn't. And maybe you had told people it was true and you found out it wasn't and you feel foolish. Has that ever happened? I hate that. Oh, if somebody tells me something and I repeat it to someone else and then find out it wasn't true, oh, it makes me so mad. Uh, that doesn't happen as much now because of Google, but <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of arguments. I'm like, just, just a minute. Let, let me check on that real quick. I have a hard time believing you. Um, but... That used to happen a lot, especially when I was a teenager. Or maybe you found out something uh, was true that you thought wasn't. You know, flip-flop, whatever. Uh, you know, we want to know the truth. We want to know the truth. And, uh, you know, maybe when you actually found out the truth, maybe you were embarrassed. Uh, maybe you were excited because it was something that you thought was bad, ended up being good. 
Um, maybe uh, you were happy. Maybe you were angry when you found out the truth. But no matter what your emotions were, you were happy you knew the truth, right? You, you wouldn't go back wishing you didn't believe the truth. You're glad you knew the truth. Um, uh, let me ask you this. Have you ever known somebody to keep the truth from you? If you have teenagers, I guarantee you, you know what that feels like to have someone keep the truth from you. But how does that make you feel when you found out maybe they didn't lie to you, but you knew they were keeping the truth from you? It makes you feel betrayed, right? It makes you feel um, angry. It doesn't make you feel really good. Obviously, it doesn't make you feel loved when someone keeps the truth from you. You share the truth with the people you love. You share the truth with the people you love. We as humans have an inner desire to know the truth. We have a desire, all people have a desire to know the truth. Listen, we have the truth. We have the gospel. We have the scriptures. We have the truth. This, I tell you, there's a lot of crazy philosophies that come and go, but this has been the same for since the world began. Right? I mean, it's been added to throughout history as, you know, you start in the beginning and, and continue on to the New Testament. But this has held true generation after generation after generation. We have the truth. And the world needs the truth. Um, so let's look here in verse 2. I cannot believe how fast this time is going by. So frustrating. Actually, I already took this message and split it into two because I couldn't get it all in. And now, land sakes. All right, we'll have to zip through this thing. Um, verse 2, the Bible says, this is Jesus speaking, of course, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Jesus says, I have compassion on the multitudes. As we talked before, the disciples needed to learn compassion specifically for the Gentiles, specifically for people that they didn't necessarily care for, for people that they didn't necessarily enjoy being around. They had to learn compassion for these people. Uh, you know, some of the Jews even considered the Gentiles their enemies. We need to have compassion. Jesus was trying to teach compassion to his disciples. And, you know, this isn't the first time Jesus tried to teach compassion. There's other circumstances. We're not going to go on there for sake of time. But let me ask you this. Do we have compassion? The disciples aren't the only ones that struggle with compassion. I struggle with compassion day in and day out. I, am, I struggle with compassion because I'm so focused on my own needs. I'm focused on my own wants. I'm, I'm so focused on my own responsibilities, the things I have to do. Things are so busy. You're always, you know what I mean? It's like sometimes it's hard to go to sleep at night because you're already thinking about all the stuff you have to do when you wake up. And you're like, should I do it now or should I do it when I wake up? Or, you know, and I, Daniel and I were talking on the way home and he's like, sometimes it's hard to have my devotions because I'm there's so much stuff I have to do. I'm thinking about what I have to do once my devotions are over. And I think we can all relate with that, right? So we're, that we're always consumed with that. We forget to view those around us the way Jesus viewed those around him. When Jesus sees people who don't know the gospel, the Bible says that he is moved with compassion. He said about himself, I am moved with compassion. We need to be moved with compassion to those that don't know the gospel. Compassion will trigger an action. You cannot have compassion without having action, without something going along with that. So how do we have compassion? What does that look like? 
Like Pastor always says, I'm finally through my introduction, which it actually is the introduction, and oh, so frustrating. Maybe we'll finish it up tonight, but anyways, get back to the meat of this. Compassion will move you to action. So what is involved with true compassion? Let's look here in verse 2, and uh, we'll read this, draw some application here. The Bible says in verse 2, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their homes, to their houses, they will faint by the way for diverse of them came from afar. So here's what I see here. Um, compassion, especially looking at the illustration of Jesus Christ, compassion involves actively looking for the needs of others. Actively looking for the needs of others, looking for the needs of those around you. Jesus uh, had looked, he had observed the people, and in doing so, he had seen their need. He wasn't totally self-absorbed and self-consumed, which is that's something we all struggle with on a day-to-day basis. But he was actively looking. Let me ask you this. Do you think after three days of teaching, Jesus was hungry? Yeah, all right? He was God in the flesh. He had the same fleshly desire as we had. And I guarantee you, it's a, who, up there preaching and teaching and doing all that, he's probably a lot more hungry than they were just sitting there. So Jesus had his own needs. I'm sure he was hungry. But he wasn't thinking about his own needs. He was thinking about the needs of those around him. Compassion involves actively looking. He was more focused on others than he was himself. You know, the disciples, they should have been actively looking and and trying to observe the needs around them too. But, you know, it doesn't tell us exactly, but we could just think maybe they were just focused on themselves. Maybe they were thinking about how hungry they were. Maybe they were too focused on their prejudice and on their pride and like, oh, I can't wait till we get out of these Gentiles. These guys drive me nuts. You know, I don't know. I mean, that might not have been, but it might have. They might have felt it was beneath them, not worthy of their time or effort. We don't know why the disciples weren't viewing uh, the people like Jesus was. But for whatever reason, the disciples did not have compassion like Jesus did. And Jesus was trying to teach them compassion. Let me ask you this. Do we see the needs of those around us? We all interact with people on a day-to-day basis. All of you, I mean... If add up all the people that each and every one of us come into contact with uh, in one week, and we could fill, what, like 50 churches with those amount of people that we come into contact with. And each one of those people are broken, they have needs, they have struggles. But for the most part, we never even view other people, we only view ourselves in our actions, and our day-to-day actions. Do we have compassion Here's the, here's the step-by-step process of compassion. Compassion is actively looking and observing the needs of people around you. That's, an, that's essential in order to have compassion. You have to look at the needs. Once you see the needs, you, you must see the need. Seeing the need is essential for triggering compassion. Seeing the need is essential to stirring that compassion. You don't have some compassion for something you don't even notice, right? I remember when we were in the Philippines, and we were at a church, and we were, we were at Camp Canaan, and we were having services that night, and we were just, whatever, doing our busy things, doing this and that, and a truck pulled up. Uh, um, uh, it was like a dump truck, and people were getting out, and a guy got out of there, and he had no legs. 
And my heart was triggered with compassion towards that man. Now, if I would have never seen him, I wouldn't have had compassion. Does that make sense? So here's what I'm trying to get at. There's needs all around us. People, it's just a broken world we live in. But unless we are actively observing the needs of those around us, we will not have compassion. You cannot have compassion until you actually see the needs of those around you. Compassion is aroused when we see and observe and study the needs of the people around us. If we never observe the needs of people, we will never experience compassion. We need to observe the needs. You know, we need to observe the needs in our communities, in our cultures. You know what? The culture here in this place is different than the culture or the needs would be maybe in New York or um, Texas. Right? We need to be actively studying and observing what are the needs of the community and the places where God has put us. What are the needs? How can we help with these needs? The needs are different everywhere. But we need to understand our local culture so that we can more effectively communicate the gospel to them. We need to observe the spiritual needs. You know, we can do this as individuals, we can do this as families, and we can do this collectively as a church. You know, we do not want to be an insider church. We don't want to be a church that's consumed with ourselves. We want to be a church that is compassionate. Everything we do, um, the ministries we're, we're a part of, the, the things, uh, we, we need to be a church that is actively reaching out and communicating the gospel and bringing people in to hear the truth. We can do that as individuals, as families, and collectively as a church. Say, say not ye, therefore, this is John chapter 4, verse 35. Say not ye, therefore, are yet, there, ah, excuse me, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Be observant. Open your eyes. The fields are white, ready to harvest. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer, this is Paul speaking, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Is that your heart and your desire and your prayer to share the gospel? Compassion involves actively looking for needs. True compassion will move you to action. Verse 4, and his disciples answered him, from thence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, how many loaves have ye? And they said, seven. The second, the second way to show compassion from this passage is compassion involves, always involves, the use of some type of resource. Compassion always involves the use of some type of resource. That resource could be physical. That resource could be time. You know, when you're, you're, you're busy and all of a sudden the opportunity comes up to show compassion to somebody and you're like, ah, I'm running late, you know, no time for compassion today. It involves the use of time. It involves the use of, uh, it can be uh, finances, it can be something physical, but compassion always involves the use of some type of, it always involves some type of sacrifice on our part. Meeting people's needs requires sacrifice. We see here the disciples are actually making excuses for their lack of resources. And how many times have we done that? They're making excuses for their lack of resources. They're thinking, where are we going to get all this bread? I mean, it was a legitimate concern, okay? Uh, we would do the exact same thing. We got seven loaves, there's 4,000 people. Where are we going to get the bread to feed all these people? 
Um, look, look, here's some of the excuses they gave. The place was in the wilderness beyond reach. Verse 4. Hey, Jesus, look, we're, we are, we're in the middle of nowhere. We can't even get resources if we needed to. There is no way we can get resources. Um, we, don't, we don't have enough resources, right? We got seven loaves. We don't have enough. Uh, the need is too great. There's 4,000 people. The need is too great. We can't supply what needs to be supplied. Do we make excuses for our lack of resources? Have you ever used this reasoning in your own family or in your own life when God has prompted you to do something and, and you just make excuses like this? I would, God, I would do that. I would get involved. If I, if I had more money, then I would whatever. If I just had more money, then I would do this. If I just had a nicer house, then I would. If I just had a better education, Lord, I just don't know enough. I'm telling you what, that, that gets a lot of people. I just, I can't share the gospel. I just don't know what to say. I don't. If I just had a better education, if I just had more time, if I just had more help, if I was just in a better location, God, you don't get it. We're in a bad location. If I, just had, if I just knew the right people, if I just had better health, if we just had a bigger church, if we just had more faithful church members, I'm telling you what, every ministry in this church doesn't have enough people. Every ministry in this church needs more people. I talked to two different people yesterday that were telling me about their need for people in their ministry. And every ministry leader can tell you we need more people in our ministry, okay? <laughs> If we just had more faithful church, if I just had better gifts and talents and abilities, then if I just had those things, then I would really do something for God. Do we make excuses for our lack of resources? Compassion involves the use of some type of resource. Compassion will move us to action. Very quickly, wrapping this up, let's notice two more powerful truths from the beginning of this story. Like I said, I can't even go through the rest. I'll say that for another message another time. The Lord gives opportunity. But here we see two powerful truths. Verse 4 and 5. Let's look here. Let's notice two more powerful truths as we wrap this up. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. So here's, here's what I see here. These last two points. Number one, the disciples underestimated what God had already given them. The disciples underestimated what God had already given them. Did, did they have everything they need for Jesus Christ to do a miracle? To watch Jesus Christ do amazing things? They had everything they needed. How many of us underestimate what God has already given us? Number two, Jesus didn't ask the disciples to figure out how to feed the people. That's not what Jesus did. This is what Jesus did. He said, what do you have? He didn't say, hey, figure out how to feed these people. I'm busy teaching. He said, no. That's not what he said. He said, what do you have? How many loaves have ye? He told them to check to see what they already had. Their concern should have been finding what they had and seeing how they could give it to Jesus. Not trying to figure out how they... How many times have you in your life tried to figure out how to do things and God's just saying, listen, I'm just... I didn't tell you to figure it out. I'm, I just... I want to do it for you. 
Just surrender what you have to me and let me do the miracle. Have you underestimated God? You know, how many times do we look over the fence at what someone else has? You know, someone is always going to have more. Someone's always going to have bigger and better. Someone's always going to have nicer. Someone's always going to have those things that we wish we had. But God is asking you, what have I given you? And give it over to me. I want to do a miracle in your life. I want to to do powerful things. Listen, don't underestimate what God has given you. I guarantee you, all right, if I were a betting man, I bet all of us in this room have more than seven loaves of bread to our name, right? We all have more than seven. That's nothing, seven loaves of bread. What has God given us, no matter how big or how small it seems? Don't underestimate what God has given you. And what is God asking you to do with what you've been given? Have you been trusting in yourself instead of trusting in God? Listen, God's not asking us to work miracles, okay? That, if you expect yourself to take on all of this pressure, that's, first off, that's unnecessary because God hasn't asked you to do it, so you're taking on unneeded pressure on yourself uh, that God never intended for you to do. But God is asking you to simply surrender what you have over to him and to be faithful and to just, just do what he has called you to do. What has God given you in your life? There's gifts, abilities. Some of you have financial ability. Some of you have the ability, some of you have the ability to have your neighbors over. How many of you can have your neighbor over for dinner and just show the love of Jesus Christ? I mean, like it doesn't matter what it is. You have something. How can you surrender that thing over to Jesus Christ. God wants to do a miracle in and through our lives, but we have to give it over to him. True compassion will move you to action. Listen, this world is starving for truth, okay? Um, people want to know the truth. So the issue isn't whether people want to know the truth or not, they do, okay? We have the truth. We have the confidence that this is the word of God and this is truth. Hopefully you have that confidence in your life. So that's not the issue whether people want to know the truth or not. The question is, do you have compassion like Jesus? Are you actively observing and noticing the needs of the world around you? Are you seeking to meet the needs of those around you? As an individual, seeking as a family, getting together and saying, Lord, how can we as a family meet the needs of those around us? Give us wisdom. Give us understanding. What can we do to reach out and reach the needs? And listen, that's what we need to be doing as a church. Amen? That's what we need to be doing, is reaching out and meeting the needs of those around us. Are you willing to give your resources over to Jesus Christ? Or do you say, no, they're my seven loaves. You can't have them. Or whatever it is in your life. Are you afraid that if you surrender it over to them, that you're just going to like, be a beggar and like, have nothing left to eat? And like, if I give all my stuff over to God, he's going to ask me to give it all away. You know what? If that would have been the attitude of giving the seven loaves, there would have been 4,000 hungry people. But they gave it to God. They gave it to Jesus. He did the miracle. He used those small resources to feed 4,000 people. 
which is just a staggering amount of people. 4,000 people, believe me, I know how much it costs to feed people. We just fed a few teenagers over the weekend. It is unreal how much those dudes eat. All right, so that's a lot of food, 4,000 people. Guarantee you there's some teenagers there. All right, uh, but he used that, and then when he was done, there was seven baskets left over. Right? It wasn't like he, they were left with nothing. They had seven baskets full left over. That tiny bit had multiplied. So God was able to do that miracle with everyone else. And then they even had more at the end than they began with. Are you willing to give your resources over to Jesus? Are you making excuses like the disciples for not getting involved? What are your excuses? Don't underestimate God. Don't underestimate the God we serve. Listen, to be honest, we cannot have compassion without the working of Jesus Christ in our lives. I mean, we can't, it, this isn't what I'm asking you to do. I'm going to really try to have compassion today because I'm going to tell you, maybe you'll do good for a day, but then you'll stop. That's not, but, but here, here's, the, here's the awesome thing is that Jesus Christ came down to earth. He showed what true compassion looked like. He had compassion upon all those that he interacted with. He, he showed perfect compassion. He died on the cross. He rose again. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, Jesus Christ, that compassionate Jesus, lives on the inside of you. So this is all you have to do if you truly want to have compassion is surrender your life over to Jesus and say, God, you know, the, in the morning when you have your devotions, Lord, today, I can't have compassion. Because this is a, you can't have compassion, all right? We are selfish, we're, we're self-absorbed, we're self-consumed, all of us. So you can't do it. So this is what you got to say. Jesus, this morning I surrender uh, my heart and my life over to you. Please, I want to live the gospel out in my life. I want to show people compassion around me. I want to view the world like you view the world. And Lord, I can't do it, so please, can you just do it through me? And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. That's the Christian life, all right? All the, 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 the law and all the things given in the scriptures for how we should live, you can't do, okay? Do you know why those are in the scriptures? To show you that you can't do them. Only Jesus can. But Jesus came down and did do all of those things, and if you accepted Jesus, he now lives on the inside of you, and you just have to release your life over to Jesus and allow him to do it through you. So we all have this ability. That's the gospel. Jesus doing through us what we cannot do for ourselves. Do you know Jesus Christ this morning? You know, God has a special plan for each and every one of us. Sorry. I get choked up every time I think of the gospel. But God loves you. He's got a special plan for your life. He cares about you. He cares about everything in your life. He cares about your family. He cares about your work. If you're a teenager, he cares about your future. He cares about your schooling. He cares about everything. There's nothing God doesn't care about. And God has a special plan for you, and he has a special realm that he wants you to live in, and it's called God's blessing. It's called a blessed prosperous life. But each and every one of us have strayed from God's original design for us. And the way we've strayed from that is called sin. 
And we've rejected the things God has for us. And we know what sin is. Sin is anything you say, you do, or think that goes against God or, or breaks his laws. And when you do that, you end up in a realm called brokenness. And we all know what brokenness is. It's betrayal, it's lies, it's deception, it's gossip. You know what I mean. You know what brokenness is. You've dealt with it in your own life. I mean, it doesn't take long to look out. Even, even someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ would say, this, this country's broken. <laughs> Things are messed up. And you know, people try to fix that brokenness. Um, maybe diving into a new relationship. Maybe substance abuse like drugs or alcohol, trying to find healing to this brokenness in their lives. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's entertainment. But they, they, they some way are trying to fix this brokenness in their lives, and the truth is they can't. And that's both a blessing and a curse. Because through that brokenness, we realize that what is there to fix the brokenness does not come from the inside. It, it comes from something else. And that's where the gospel comes in. Jesus Christ came down and died on the cross. He lived a perfect, sinless life to show that it can be done. Died on the cross, and this is what he did. The Son of God took the penalty for our sin. This is literally what Jesus did. He took his, if this was Jesus and this is us, he traded us. He traded his righteousness for our wickedness. He traded his righteousness for our guilt. He appeased a holy God that had to judge the sin of the world. And he took that for us. And if we repent, repent is a Bible word, which means to turn away or to, to reject the way you were going, like you were following in sin and now you're, you're going a different way. And if we repent and believe the gospel that only through Jesus Christ can eternal life be gained, and if we turn and we believe that, God puts us back onto that road of recovery and restitution. He starts fixing those broken things in our lives. He redeems us. Literally, this is what Jesus does. He takes things that are broken and he puts them back together. And then once you do do that, you then have the opportunity to start living in God's realm of blessing again. And then that's our job is to tell other people, how to fix their broken lives. But the only way we're going to share the gospel is if we have compassion. Sorry, the gospel always gets me choked up. Thinking about what it did in my life. Thinking about what it's done in so many others and what God wants to do in so many others. Do you have compassion this morning? Let's pray. Dear Lord, just thank you for this day. Thank you for all your wonderful blessings. I just come before you here this morning, and God, I confess my own need of compassion. I'm so selfish, and I'm so self-centered, and so consumed with my own agenda and my own needs and wants that I just fail to view those around me the way you do. To look past my own needs and to see a world that is lost and, and living in brokenness. And I know the truth. I know the gospel. And I pray that you will give me more opportunity to tell others about how they can leave that realm of brokenness and go into the realm of God's original design, the realm of God's blessing. 
And I pray that you'll just continue to work on our hearts here this morning. I pray all these things in your holy, precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklay.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.